as we read the pages of Scripture, and as we walk with the Lord, and that's what a, that's what a relationship, that's what Christianity is supposed to be. Christianity is not a series of theological things that we tend to agree with, that we argue about. Um, there, are, there, are, there is truth, as we heard today, and those things are non-negotiable. But what Christianity really is, is applying that truth in a daily walk. That as we look at the Word of God, and, and we understand this is God's book, it's everything we believe in. We live this book. We read the pages of Scriptures, and we walk with the Lord in a daily relationship of love, We learn a bunch of things, but one of the things that we learn is that God tells us to do some seemingly impossible things at times in our lives. He tells us to do things that are beyond us. 22 years ago, God led Chris and Roger Austin to to respond to his calling to begin to develop a Christian school in the community. God was the one who initiated it in their lives. Now to me, that sounds like a pretty impossible task. Kind of task you want to say to God, but God, I don't think you understand. I don't think you get it, God. Don't you understand that it takes teachers and buildings and it takes money, God? Don't you know that a school, that's why we tax people, God? You just don't make them out of thin air? That to build a school, it takes books and it takes computers and it takes administrators, all these things. And it was a pretty impossible assignment. Well, God asks us to do impossible things. Years ago, Suzanne and I had been married a couple of years, just come out of Bible college, and the Lord challenged us, He told us, He directed us to go and to plant a church. What I mean by planting a church is to start a church where one didn't exist. To start a church of all places in Marquette, Michigan. The Upers, up in snow country, 300 miles straight north of here, right on the shores of Lake Superior. To go up there and to start a church, well, I don't know if God knew what He was talking about. Because it's a city that had four previous failed Assembly of God church plants. The ten years we lived there, 13 churches closed their doors, locked them up, sold the building. He called us to reach a group of people, or probably some of the most stubborn, difficult people to reach in the world. Anybody ever met a youper? You have, my boys are them. <laughs> They're youpers, a youper, somebody born in the UP. So they call them a youper. Ever hear the song, Second Week of Deer Camp? You know, that's the youpers. And that's from Nagani, Michigan. We lived in Nagani, Michigan. And so uh, uh, that was the heart of the area that God told us to go plant a church in. An area filled with, with stubborn people, with, with, with independent people who had no desire to, to cooperate together. They take value, uh, they place value on being independent and needing nobody. And God said, hey, go build a church based on community. Um, it sounded impossible. And he said, oh, by the way, Mark and Suzanne, do it with no money. Do it with no experience and do it with virtually no people. You and her, move to town in your little tiny Nissan 210 um, that's rusted out completely. Move to town, find a, find a place to live and start a church. Um, and my overseer, my direct overseer, my direct boss, his, his encouragement to me was pat me in the back and say, God bless you, you will fail. That was his, that was his encouragement to me. Exact quote. God bless you, you will fail. Well, I can tell you something, it wasn't a failure. Um, there's a thriving, after 10 years, a thriving church in that community today that continues to thrive. Um, but it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible to do that. You see, God tells us to do what seems impossible when we walk with Him. And I mean He tells us to do it. 
He doesn't ask us to do it. He tells us to do it. Not to just consider if we would maybe like to do what he's asking us to do. He doesn't. He says to do impossible things. He makes statements to you and I like this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Really, God? All the nations? Have you been watching the news, God? Do you know what's going on in North Korea? Have you seen what's happening in Afghanistan? God, that's impossible. At least it seems to be. God says impossible things like this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which is easy to do. Hating your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really, God? Love my enemies. Pray for those. In other words, actually care enough to pray for those who persecute me who are actively involved in trying to make my life miserable. They're persecuting me. You know what, God? You must not understand how bad my enemies really are. You know, you're God after all. You can just zap them with a lightning bolt. You don't really get what my enemies are like. You don't understand how deeply they've hurt me. God, what you're telling me to do seems impossible. God says to do impossible things like this. He says, and these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues and they will pick up serpents and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them and if they lay hands on the sick they will recover. Really God? Now you're asking me to do divine things. You know, me, you, believers. It doesn't say, um, and these signs will accompany those who have a PhD in theology. No, who's believed? Who's believed in Jesus? It's us. Really us? Cast out demons. Have that kind of spiritual authority. Us, it be in a, in a bizarre situation where we'd maybe somehow drink deadly poison, we would do it and it wouldn't kill us. That seems impossible. Us, heal the sick. Well, God, it just doesn't work that way. Really, God? That seems absolutely impossible. And when we think about these things, the question that rises in my mind is, does this seem fair? Is God being fair with you and me, with us who believe? Being told to do things that we know we cannot do. Does that seem fair? I want to tell you, it does not seem fair if we don't understand how God intends for these things to be accomplished in us and through us. You see, if we think He just gives us a job and then sends us off all by ourselves to accomplish that job, to use hard work and sacrifice and ingenuity, then it makes no sense and it's unfair for God to give us things to do that are impossible. But church, if we understand that that's not how God works, that God never gives us an assignment and then sends us off to accomplish it on our own, but rather, He does call us to accomplish the impossible, but He wants to achieve the impossible by His power and His ability through you and through me. It's His divinity flowing through His people. That's how the impossible is made possible. Now the text that we're going to come to today in our, in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we're walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. The text that we come to today in the Gospel of Mark serves as a model for how God accomplishes the impossible 
through his incredibly human, limited followers, people like you and me. And it's a really familiar story, but it captures the heart of how God seemingly does seemingly impossible things through people like you and me. So grab your Bible. Open up to the book of Mark, chapter 6 with me today. I'm going to read a story that you've heard probably many times before, but maybe look at it in a way you've not seen before. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 33, the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Let's look at what it says. Starting verse 33, it says, The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. So they saw them, Jesus and his disciples, going somewhere, um, and they beat them there. Verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And then said to them, Shall, then they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii, which is about a day's wage, 200 days wages on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were there five thousand men who ate the loaves. Now think of this story. God gave his disciples an impossible job to do in the story. He says, feed more than 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men. So, they, so scholars say there had to be at least seven, 8,000 people when you count the women and children. Feed more than 5,000 people with one person's lunch. It seems impossible to me. Does it seem impossible to you? He told them to do it. And he told them, he didn't ask them to do it. He told them to do it. Look at verse 37. He says, you give them something to eat. It's an order. What's at the end of the sentence? What's the punctuation mark in your Bible at the end of the sentence? An exclamation point. He's making it a point. He says, looks at his disciples, square in the eye, I think he probably points at them, and he says, you give them something to eat. It's a command with a strong order, punctuated with an exclamation point. Friends, here's the reality. They couldn't do it. But this story shows us how God did it through them. And that's what we want to understand today. I want to pull out of this story some of the keys that we, you and I need to understand and you and I need to be able to apply in our lives in order for God to make the impossible possible through us. Because this is what I believe about walking with God for all these years. As people who are really tied into God, if we honestly are connected, we sense the Spirit of God calling us to do big things. 
And that looks different in everybody's lives. That we, ex- we experience the call of God by the Spirit of God challenging us to do things that are beyond ourselves that we just say we can't do it. And this story gives us some real keys into how that can happen in our lives if we'll walk according to the principles of God. So the first key is this. I'm going to give you three keys today. The first key that we need to understand from this story on how God does the impossible, uh, how God makes the impossible possible is this. Understand that when God gives you an assignment, He already has the plan for provision in place. Understand that when God gives you an assignment, He already has the plan for provision in place to accomplish that assignment that He's given you. In the parallel um, story of the feeding of the 5,000, and it's in multiple places in, in, the New, in the New Testament, but in the parallel story in the Gospel of John, that story gives us some additional details that we don't find here in the book of Mark. And the primary thing is this, that it says that in John's Gospel, the same story, it says that when Jesus told His disciples to feed all of these people, knowing that they couldn't do it, it says this little tidbit. It says that He was telling them to do this to test them, listen, because he knew what he was intending to do. He told them to feed 5,000, knowing they couldn't do it, to test them because he knew how he was going to feed 5,000. He already had the plan in place for how he was going to feed them. He knew what the lunch, what lunch there was, five loaves and two fish, and he knew that he was going to multiply it. It says he was already intending to do what he did when he told them to do something that was impossible for them to do. He knew that he was going to turn five loaves and two fish into dinner for thousands of people. But he just didn't tell them that he knew that. He told them to do something that was impossible. He knew that they could not do what he told them to do themselves, but he already had the plan in place to meet the need himself. He already knew how he's going to meet the need, but they just didn't know it. Friends, you need to understand something. You need to know that when God gives you an assignment, He already has the plan for provision in place. When He gives you an assignment that's bigger than you, He's not wringing His hands saying, Oh, how is Mark going to do that? How are they ever going to feed 5,000 people? It's just so big. He's not doing that. He already has a plan in place. It says He knew what He was going to do before He ever asked Him to do it. He already has the plan in place to meet whatever needs you're going to have that you're going to encounter in order to fulfill the plan and the assignment that He's given you to do. You need to know that when God gives you an assignment, He already has the provision in place. Let me tell you a story to prove how it works. Because it's it's not just big things like this. It's, 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 It's in the daily walking with God when He challenges us to do something bigger than yourselves. I remember years ago, when the Lord directed me to quit my career, I had been a, a printer for a number of years, and then I had gone to school while I was doing that, became a financial planner, got a, 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 a securities license, was working through a firm in Milwaukee um, doing financial planning, and had worked really hard to get there, and uh, I feel God challenging me to quit my career, to enter into full-time vocational ministry, and as part of that preparation to, to up move from Wisconsin where I lived my whole life, move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and to attend Bible College in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, that was in the mid-1980s. You know, not 1880s, kids. 1980s. 
you know. In the, in the mid-80s, um, and what you have to understand about the mid-80s is that the oil industry in Louisiana had collapsed. And uh, there was no jobs. As a matter of fact, Baton Rouge had the highest unemployment rate of any city in the nation when I moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, God called me to leave everything. I let all my securities licenses lapse, burnt all my bridges, because I knew if I didn't, I would go back. I let everything lapse that I worked for. I got my Pontiac Phoenix, and I drove to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to go to school. Problem was, I didn't have any money to pay for it. I had money to get me in and get going through the first semester, but I didn't have any money paying for it. I was an older guy. My parents, my parents weren't going to pay anything towards it. I didn't even think of asking them to do it, and no one else was going to help me pay. And I made a deal with God that I wouldn't borrow any money, but that I'd go and I'd be willing to work. Well, that sounds good if the economy is good, but we went to a place where the economy, I went to a place where the economy stunk, the highest unemployment in the nation. And a few days after I arrived at Baton Rouge and I got settled in, I'm in my Pontiac Phoenix, I'm driving on Essen Lane in Baton Rouge, the only road I can remember the name of in the whole area. Essen Lane, it was one street behind the college that I went on. And I forget where I was going, but I was driving down Essen Lane, and as clear as a bell, I sensed the Spirit of the Lord stop me, speak to me, identified a building on the side of the road that I'd never noticed before, and said, go in there and ask for a job. I'm thinking, what's, what's that? And so, but it was such a strong impression inside of my life, inside of myself, that I went back and kids learned something. I went back and I changed my clothes. You know, you're not going to get a job with earrings in your ears and funky hair and, you know, all this stuff and crazy clothes. I went and I put a suit and tie on. And I walked into the place and I, I said, uh, you know, this is who I am and this is what I do. What, this is what I didn't know, though. The building was a brand new printing franchise called Quick Copy Printing. And the guy who, who was developing the franchise was a guy named H. Floyd White, Floyd and Bono White, two great Christian, southern Christian people. And um, southern, I point that out because H. Floyd and Bono, that's southern. And uh, they were southerners. And I walk in the door, and Floyd's at the counter. The business is just getting up and going, and I said, my name is Mark, and I right off the bat, I identified myself as a school, the student at the school because I figured you better know why I'm here in case, you know, you hate God or something. And uh, so I said, I'm, a Bi- I'm going to Bible college. This is what I'm doing. And the guy starts crying. He's in tears. And I said, you know, what's up? And he said, I've been praying for you. He said, I'm a retired banker. I just left banking. I know nothing about printing, and I felt God wanted me to start a, a printing franchise. He said, I don't know anything about it. And he said, I've been trying to find anybody who understands printing. And he said, and there's not a person in this city of Baton Rouge who knows what to do. He said, well, and I found those that us all were lazy, um, or they didn't have the training. I found a, well, I won't go there in case you're Southerners. <laughs> Everybody was fixing to do something. They just didn't want to do it. That's the word down there, fixing to do it. And so I walk in the door, and he's in tears, and he says, my wife and I have been praying for you. He said, there's not another person in the city of Baton Rouge, I've been looking, who has your skill set and would be willing to work part-time. And on the spot, offered me a job. But didn't just offer me a job. He offered me a job paying me twice per hour what any other job in the city could have paid me. 
at that, you know, as far as a, a part-time job. Double what anybody else. So I had to work one half the hours that I thought I'd have to work. And that's so why I worked all the hours so I made enough money so I could pay for my schooling completely and, and borrow no money. You know, um, here's the reality. God had put the provision in place before I ever went there. My God had a plan for my provision in place so that when I agreed to obey Him, that when I got there, He had provided what I needed so that I could succeed in doing what He asked me to do. Friends, you need to get this. If you are going to do big things for God, you need to look past your personal limitations, you need to look past your resources, and you need to know that God will provide when He asks you to do something. The question for you to ask yourself today is, what is God calling you to do? And are you scared because it's bigger than you can handle? I'll let you know something. If it's not bigger than you can handle, it's probably not from God. God doesn't call us to do things that are simple. He doesn't call us to do things we can do on our own. He calls us to do things that only He can work out through us. So what's God calling you to do? If you feel like you have only five loaves and two fish to feed thousands of people, you're in a good place. Because that's the place where when God is leading you to, it may seem impossible. But God wants you to learn to see beyond your personal limitations to His provision. He wants to break you free from the smallness of yourself and have you experience the vastness of His provision. I was once asked a question, maybe multiple times, one time in particular I remember. The person actually asked it and they weren't real happy when they asked it. Because they said it wasn't fair. They said, why does God always seem to provide supernaturally for you and Suzanne? Houses and cars and trips. Seems like every time you're turning around you're saying, God somehow miraculously did this for me. And I told them, it was because we have been willing to see past our personal limitations. Step out in faith and follow God into what he's asking us to do. And to trust that he's the provision is going to be there. It's in place already. You see, Suzanne and I have found that we believe that when God gives an assignment, that He already has the plan in place to provide what is needed for us to accomplish what He's asking us to do. Friends, here's why it's so important. Knowing this helps alleviate the stress on taking steps of faith. Now, I said, Suzanne just smirked. (laughs) I said, alleviate, not eliminate. Alleviate the stress, not eliminate the stress. You know, you still walk in the flesh. I still get scared. But we walk through the fear knowing that His provision has gone before us. That's what the story tells us today. He already had in place His plan to know that He was going to provide for what He asked people to do. Do you get that one? Does that make sense? Right? Let's look at key number two. Second key is this. And it's very closely related, but it is different. Understand that God's abundance is not tied to earthly realities. Understand that God's abundance, and you're going to need God's abundance, is not tied to earthly realities. In the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it goes out of its way to make a point of saying that He performed this miracle in a desolate place. If you look through the other stories in Scripture, they usually don't say things that are, that for some reason, defining the place like that. It was out of its way to make a point that Jesus performed this miracle in a desolate place. And Jesus did this on purpose. He wanted them and He wants us to understand that His ability to provide 
What is essential for an assignment to be accomplished is not tied to our um, earthly realities. It's not hindered by the realities that go on around us in our world. Things like bad economic times or spiritual obstacles. Hey, go to the UP and plant a church among amongst the people where it never works. The most unchurched county when we moved to Marquette um, in the U.S., according to statistics, was Marquette County that we were in. Go to a place like that. It's impossible. Go plant the church. Spiritual obstacles. Things like, like spiritual obstacles. Things like declining stock markets do not hinder God's economy and should not hinder our willingness to obey what He tells us to do. But let me tell you the truth. They do. We often let these things that we see keep us from obeying what we hear from God. Because it is harder to take risks with God when we can't really see how it's possible that that, risk could po- that that situation could possibly work itself out. But friends, God has been trying to get us to understand since the beginning of His interactions with mankind that His abundance is not tied to earthly realities. That's why He does certain things in the Scripture that might, you may look at and say, it doesn't seem kind of strange. He provided manna from heaven in the wilderness, another desolate place, for nearly 2,000 Jews to prove that His abundance is greater than the Middle Eastern desert where there is no food. He gave them food every day to say, listen, this is nothing here, it's lack here, but when you're with me, there's abundance. He provided water from a rock. From a rock. Of all the things he could have provided water from, do you get the irony in what he's trying to say? Hey Moses, that rock right there, that's where the water's going to come from. He provided water, couldn't he like done it out of a tree? Something that's alive? But no, I'm going to provide water out of a rock. For millions of people in the middle of the desert to prove that his ability to provide abundantly is not tied to earthly realities. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. The barrenness of the desert was real. The situation was bleak. But his ability to provide abundantly was and is never limited to earthly realities. See, there always has been and always will be earthly realities that shout to us that what God is calling us to do is impossible. You know, the economy is too bad. The struggle is too hard. You're too weak. You're too uneducated. You're too inexperienced. There's always things that shout, it can't be done. The realities around us. Well, friends, understand what we learn from this story is that these realities don't affect God. They affect us, but they don't affect God. He spoke the world into existence from nothing. He said, let there be light. There was light. The lack had nothing to do with it. He spoke it into existence. He multiplied a boy's lunch in this story into supper for more than 5,000 people. Friends, understand, God functions beyond our limitations. He is the God of abundance and the God of blessing in spite of our realities in spite of them. So when He leads you into what seems impossible, and it seems impossible because of earthly realities of lack or limitation, know that God's abundance exists beyond those limitations, and that His abundance is unlimited, because that's the God we know and serve, and is revealed through Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Amen. That'll set you free. That'll get you past your limitations and functioning God's realities in abundance. 
One more key. I was going to stop after that one. But when I was looking at the text and sitting and praying, I really felt I needed to share one more reality, one more key with you. Because I really believe this. I believe God, as we go forward, is going to call you to call you as individuals and us as a church to do impossible things. We already do some impossible things. But he's calling you, he's going to call you to do impossible things. And God wants to set you free today, to give you faith today, to know to go forward. And this last one, I really sensed, even though I didn't want to even add it in, I felt like the Spirit saying, put this in here, because it's going to speak directly to some of you today. The last key is this from the text. Understand that man's ending may be God's beginning. Understand that God, that man's ending may be God's beginning. And you say, what in the world do you mean by that? It's this. Jesus did the miracle of feeding 5,000 at a really interesting time. His disciples had just finished ministering in teams of two in the surrounding villages. If you go back and you understand, if you're journeying with us through the Gospel of Mark, what you find is that he had just sent out his disciples two by two into surrounding countryside and villages. They had gone and ministered. Remember what happened? They had cast out demons. They had preached the Gospel. They had done all these amazing things. And um, they were done at the end. And it's verses, the three verses just before we start reading the story of the 5,000 tells us about the fact that they're, they're exhausted. And they've been ministering, and they're, and they're tired. They just finished all this ministry, and, and they're tired out. And so Jesus is taking them to a place to get refreshed. That's, what this, that's the context of the story we find here. And they were so tired that Jesus says, come on away by yourselves. And he says this, let's go to a desolate place. So that you can find rest, that you can be alone, we can be away from the crowds, and I can re- restore you. And that's, that's, the, that's the setting here. But it says that when they, when they arrived, remember they said they're coming, they coming in a boat across the lake. It says when they arrived at shore, the people beat them to the desolate place. They could see their boats going across the lake and they said, they're heading over there. And they ran around the lake and they came from the surrounding villages and they all converged in a spot where the boat landed on shore. In that supposed desolate place where they're supposed to rest, they get there and the crowd was waiting for them. So what did Jesus do? It says he taught them all day long. And when he taught, they ministered. And so he taught them all day long. And at the end of the long day, which was at the end of the long ministry journey, he then looks at his disciples and he says, feed them. Remember his exclamation point at the end? He's not saying, hey, why don't you think about it? He looks at him and he says, feed them. The disciples were tired. They were finished. They wanted Jesus to send the crowd away and to end the day. But Jesus had other plans. Remember what it said in John? He had a miracle in store. It says he knew the miracle that he was going to do. Friends, there's something important to realize about, about this here. I think that often we quit. Often we give up on, on our God dreams just when God is about to provide the miracle. Just about the time when God is going to do something miraculous, get this, that will propel us past human effort into divine activity. Because when we walk with God and we do the God dreams, it takes a ton of human effort. He didn't, do, he didn't just pick us up and move us. He says, do this and we walk with Him, but it takes a ton of effort. 
And often the miracle that's going to propel us past human effort into divine activity is right there in front of us and we're tempted to quit because it's oftentimes right at the end when we're so tired we want to just give up. And this is what we say. But no one else is making a sacrifice that I am. No one else is trying as hard. No one else. They just bail out. They just do whatever. And i got to still run the school. And that's what we say. And we often give up right before the miracle comes. But understand, friends, it's the miracle. It's the divine activity that makes all the difference. That's what changes lives, the divine miracle. The the divine activity is the thing that builds people's faith. The divine activity is the thing that brings God the ultimate glory. Without the divine activity on that day of feeding the 5,000, without the divine activity of feeding the 5,000, that day would have just been another day. It never would have made the pages of Scripture. But because of the divine activity at the end of the day, when everybody else said, it's done, it's over, I'm tired. And Jesus said, but wait, feed them. I know what I'm going to do. i got a miracle in store. Because of the divine activity, we celebrate that day 2,000 years later. We, write, we sing songs about it. We celebrate it. We talk about it. We preach sermons about it. Because of the divine activity. Friends, the reason I bring this up today is because God wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage you to not give up on your dreams. I'm not saying your humanly concocted dreams. I'm saying your God dreams. Those things that you know are from the Spirit of the Lord that He's challenging you to do. Don't give up on your dreams. On those things that the Lord, by His Spirit, has put in your heart. You're saying, I can't move so-and-so to to Louisiana and quit my job and sort of thing. And I'm not encouraging you to move. (laughs) I'm saying, but the God dream. You want to give up on it. You may feel like quitting. You may feel that you are at the end of your usefulness. You may feel you're so tired in the pursuit that you just can't go another day and you say, God, forget it. Nobody else cares. I don't care either. You may feel that your best years are gone and there's no use. God has no use for you anymore. You may feel you have failed and God says, I'm not going to use you. Friends, God's not finished. Friends, don't give up because God's not done with you yet. Oftentimes, the miracle comes at the end. Man's endings are often God's beginnings. And when God gives you a dream, when God says, Do this, Mark, you just keep doing it until He says, Do something else. But He told them, Feed 5,000. And they were dog tired. If they would have had a deacon board meeting, I'm not referring to our deacon board meeting. Let's say this. I had a church meeting. They would all chose to quit. You know what? Send them away. We'll teach them again tomorrow. They would have concluded, well, common sense says, you know what? Jesus taught them. That was important. Well, Jesus' teaching was important. But the miracle is what changed everything. Humanly, a lot of times, we just want to give up when God is saying, just stick with it. One more day. One more hour. Friends, God does call us to do things that are bigger than we are. And that's scary. He wants you and me to realize that we can't accomplish those things by self-effort. He's not asking us to. He wants us to look to and trust in His provision. To look to and trust in His activity. He wants to make the impossible possible through you and me. Do you see that in the story today? Amen.
Would you pray with me this morning?